The book of Isaiah, starting with chapter 28. Remember, Ephraim uh, is Israel, so the, the larger, not Judah, but Israel, the sort of, I, I think yesterday I called it the outer court. Um, it, it's um, was the people of God that turned away from God before the people of Judah turned away from God and never really had a, uh, a good king, but they were, but, but they were the, the people of Israel. And, um, and so, again, it, it talks about the destruction uh, coming upon them. It highlights drunkenness. So, you know, dr- drunkenness is um, tr- putting ourselves in a different state of mind the Lord actually wants us to teach us a new state of mind, a new way of thinking, a new way of being, to have the mind of Christ. He, his purpose is to bring us into a new life that is was the original intention for man, rather than having the fallen man of Adam that we all inherit. And um, so this desire to get drunk is an innate desire to return to that garden experience, um, but it's a counterfeit method of doing so. And um, so he's lashing out, Isaiah's lashing out at uh, Ephraim for um, just kind of going in its own way and, and not, a, not a righteous way. And basically saying, look, my people no longer represent me. This is, this is a word for today as well as, you know, this has happened many times in history, not just uh, when the country Israel was taken away by Assyria, but it's happened over and over again through history. So he says in verse 5, In that day the Lord of hosts will become a beautiful crown and a glorious diadem to the remnant of his people. So he's, he says, I'm pulling a remnant of people out. A spirit of justice for him who sits in judgment, a strength to those who repel the onslaught of the gate, and these also reel with wine and stagger from strong drink. He says the priest and prophet will also stagger, and then he says uh, nine, to uh, to whom would he teach knowledge? Uh, backing up a little bit, they reel while having visions, they totter while rendering judgments. So he, again, he's. He's saying these people represent me, but they're 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 not representing me. They're just claiming to represent me. He says those just weaned from the milk. He's saying you're 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 little children. You haven't grown up in my ways, and yet you're teaching others. You're judging, and you're, you know, you're putting yourself as my representative when you're just a baby. This order on order, line on line, a little here. It's kind of baby talk in Hebrew. And uh, indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. And he, so he says, look, my people will not listen to me. So I'm going to break them because they don't represent me. And I cannot have a people that does not represent me because I have a purpose for mankind. I have a purpose for this, you know, speaking of that country, Israel at that time, I have a purpose for this country. And it's, it's not living up to my purpose. I've warned them and I've warned them, but they're not living up to it. And so um, I, I've got to do something different. I've got to turn to a remnant people. And, um, and again, so this is, this is God's way is to, you know, he begs, he pleads, he warns. And then, okay, then you've got to be judged because there needs to be a people that represents me so that my purposes can be fulfilled. And then he turns to Judah to, to give a warning also to Judah. 
And Judah was the country that was closer to God. They, they had a lot of good kings. This is the, you know, king, well, David and Solomon were kings of everything, but um, but they were kind of headquartered. Their, their family maintained the kingship of Judah. And so while another fam- different families uh, became kings in Israel, um, uh, you know, after the, after the kingdom broke apart. So Judah has uh, kind of made a, a, a pact with death or a pact to cheat death. Um, but it's based on falsehoods and subterfuge, deception. Uh, therefore, the Lord says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. So God says, look, I'm, I'm going to have to bring judgment on this people, but I am doing this in order. It's like if you buy, if, if there's a perfect lot, you wanted to have a house, but there's an old shabby house on it. And um, the, the, the little shabby house is run down. No one would want to live there. Um, but it's a perfect lot, perfect location. It would be great. You don't just start building on top of the shabby house and hope that it all holds up. You, you, you know, destroy the shabby house and then you build up from a new foundation. So that's what God's doing here. I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested cornerstone. Basically, I will start over with a remnant of this people. So if I stick with my analogy, maybe there's some good, uh, there's some good, nice wood in there that makes a beautiful kind of antique something or other. (laughs) Uh, You know, there's something good that can be redeemed within this house. Obviously the lot itself, but then maybe there's something else and you want to redeem that, but you, the rest of it, you just can't use. So you get rid of it. And that's what God is saying he will do. And so he gives another warning. He says, don't, don't be a scoffer anymore. Uh, turn, for I have heard from the Lord God of hosts of decisive destruction on all the earth. He says, destruction is coming. Turn back to me so that you are saved. Give ear and hear my words. Listen, hear my words. Does the farmer plow continually to plant seed? Does he continually turn and harrow the ground? Does he not level its surface and sow dill and scatter cumin? and plant wheat in rows, barley in his place, and rye within its area. For his God instructs and teaches him properly. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is the cart wheel driven over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a rod, cumin with a club. Grain for bread is crushed. Indeed, he does not continue to thresh it forever, because the wheel of his cart and his horse eventually damage it. He does not thresh it longer. This is also... This also comes from the Lord of hosts, he who has made his counsel wonderful and his wisdom great. He says there's a time for everything in it. And, you know, the, if, if you're a farmer, you're not continually tilling the ground. That would be a pointless waste of time, right? There's a time for tilling. There's a time for waiting. There's a time for reaping. Uh, there's different methods for different crops. And he's saying, look, I understand what I am doing here. I am trying to to build a garden, a people that is a beautiful place, a beautiful people that represents me to the world. But if it doesn't represent me, then it, it doesn't fit within my plans. And so understand the timing of what I'm doing. Look at what I am about 
and get in line with that if you're to be my people. That's my desire for you. And then we're on to 29. And now he's moved to Jerusalem. You see, so he started outer court, inner court, holy of holies now. Um, Jerusalem is the, you know, the capital city of Judah and uh, city of David. And so now he's, he's uh, warning is, uh, Ju uh, Jerusalem, which here is called Ariel. He says, you know, you're always celebrating the feast that I, that I gave you, but I'm going to bring distress on you. He says, basically, as he's warned many times, you're, you're doing, you're observing all these feasts, but you don't have my heart. You people of God, you, 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 know, go, you, you keep going to church, but is your heart really for me? He says, I'm going to use other nations to bring down Jerusalem, but woe to them. You know, they, they think this will satisfy them, but I'll be destruction on them as well. And he specifically says, they will become drunk, but not with wine. They will stagger, but not with strong drink. He says, your, your way of thinking is wrong. Your way of life is wrong. It's as if you're drunk, but it's actually just the way that you are living your life. He has shut, uh, he's poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets, and he has covered your head, the seers. So he says, the people of God, you, you, know, you should know what I'm saying and what I'm doing right now, but you're completely blind to it. You, you know, how, how can I have a people that, are, you know, they have, there's prophets and seers, and yet they have no idea what I'm saying or doing. He says, the entire vision will be to you like the words of a sealed book, which when they give it to the one who is illiterate, saying, please read this, he will say, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book will be given to the one who is illiterate, saying, please read this, and he will say, I cannot read. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of the discerning men will be concealed. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord. So, you see, when you know when he was uh, saying a word against Ephraim, he's like, "These are supposed to be my people, but but they don't even pretend to be my people." Now he's talking about a different people of God. Again, th this is a word for today we live in. I, we have so much culminating in our day that um, that you know understand these are different aspects of of the church being judged and the people of God who aren't really walking in his ways. We have our Christ, and then we go about with our worldly carnal lives. And so he's saying, you, you have these um, ways of uh, worshiping me, but they're not, your, your heart, you're not being transformed to be like my Christ. You honor me, you say, I'm Christian, or I'm this or that, but you remove your hearts far from me. You become entangled in the ways of the world instead of revering me. You hold to your traditions. See, this is the religious spirit. You hold to the traditions that you've been passed down and you're very religious about those things, but there's no life in it. It's not, the, it's not my way. It's just your religion. He says, the wisdom that you think is wise will perish. The discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord. 
and those deeds are done in a dark place. So, you know, even even those in charge who are, you know, making plans, how do we deal with this? And making kind of business plans or making making things, trying to triangulate. He's, who sees us? We're making these plans in secret. God's saying, I see it all. No, oh, I was just quoting this uh, the other day. <laughs> I think I was... Uh, Attributing this to Jeremiah, but here we go. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? Uh, in other words, you have a potter and you have clay, and the clay is not in charge of that situation. It's the potter that's in charge. Don't confuse yourself with thinking you're the potter when you're actually the clay. But this is always for a purpose. It's never just because God wants to be a harsh judge. He's only a harsh judge when we make him be a harsh judge, but even that is for a good, wonderful purpose so that we become awake to the fact that he has a better way for us. And so that's what he starts moving into starting in verse 17. The afflict, and then verse 19, the afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord. Or 18, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. So he's going to make us see. Jesus loved to talk about that, you know, the making the blind see. And uh, that, that, that is what, he, there's a lot more to this life that God plans for us than just going on just like the non-believers, except we say we have Christ after we die. That's not the whole point that Jesus came. Jesus came to redeem us back to the garden experience that, God originally intended for mankind. And so when we're living anything short of that, uh, a lot must be done. (laughs) We must be. So God says, look, I'm going to bring this about so that I can reposition you so that your blindness will be taken away and you can see what I really want you to see. You can be who I really want you to be. And this chapter ends with saying, basically, I will redeem my people. They will worship me. They will stand in awe of me. They will be sanctified. And in these verses, it both talks to the people, um, you know, modern Jews. If you read uh, Romans 9 through 11, uh, it talks about um, the wonder. And and you see that happening in Israel today. But uh, it's still small, but it's happening. Um, The the wonder for the body of Christ at large when the Jewish people have their veil removed and all of a sudden they said, you know, they're going to be weeping. They're going to, you know, what a terrible thing to realize for 2,000 years you've been against your Messiah that you've been waiting on for many, many thousands of years. Um, but they will they will come to know and worship. and um, But it's also talking about the people of God in general. So sometimes people argue, does... Does Israel just mean the church and throw out the Jews? That was a long time thinking because, well, there was no nation of Israel. Um, uh, and But some people are, are strictly, well, this, this only reply, applies to Israel. And there can be verses here or there which apply uh, more strictly to one or the other. But in general, a lot of them apply to both. God, God is many-layered, and he's amazing in the way he works. And a lot of times... He does something with the Jewish people that's miraculous. And at the same time, he does something sort of different, but, but simultaneously with the, with the body of Christ at large. And so we can apply it to both. And then we'll move on to for, uh, chapter 30. And then this chapter is a, is a warning to those who 
make alliance with the world. So in this case, it was Judah. Egypt was a very strong country. And so instead of Judah relying on the Lord, they would sometimes rely on the strength of Egypt to protect them. They would pay Egypt off to protect them from other strong kings. And um, that is a very similar thing. You can equate that to people of God um, saying, well, I'm going to put this truth of God aside in order to be more like the world. I can be more, you know, I can be relevant to the world today. So, so the people that don't know God will like me or will be attracted to the way of God because I'm relevant, because I've, I've excluded this part of the word of God uh, in order to be more like them. The, the, these are the two things. The, the, these, these things are the same. And so God says, woe to the rebellious children who executes a plan, but not mine, and makes an alliance, but not of my spirit. So God has great judgment against this way of thinking, this way of being. So this people take shelter in Pharaoh. They didn't consult me. They consult Egypt. They, they seek shelter there and safety there. Here, Egypt is called Rahab, a, a sea monster or dragon. Um, uh, you know, the, so the way of the world... Remember, Satan is the is the ruler of this world, right? God's kingdom is coming up to conquer it, but but that's still a small thing, <laughs> and and the world is still a large thing from our perspective. Not obviously not God's perspective, but from one who's down in this world. And uh, so Egypt is called Rahab. The way of the world is equated with the way of the enemy. It's basically the same thing. In the end, there's only two ways. We, we, can, we can parse this, and there are, and there's a lot to be learned from looking at all the different angles of, of life and our way in it. But in the end, it comes down to two ways, God's way and every other way. And now remember, God made uh, mankind to be sons, taught as a father teaches a son all his ways so that he can represent God to all creation. And so then what is, he's looking at, at the people of Judah, he said, for this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see vision, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words, prophecy illusions. So again, this is, this is the heart of man to say, well, I don't, I don't want the real truth of God, if it goes against what I want, just tell me what I want to hear, or I'm just going to do what feels good to me, or what seems right to me. This truth of God, it's too strict, or it's too, it doesn't really make sense in the modern world today. So I, I think I'm just going to discard this part of it and just use this other part of it, because I don't want to kick out God. I still like God, but I don't like this part. So I'm going to just kind of Use the part that works for me. Well, you see uh, judgment on that way of thinking. He says, you're rebellious people. You're false sons. You're, you're not my son who represents me. You're a false son when you have this way of thinking. They have the gall to say, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, since you have rejected this word and have put your trust in oppression and guile and have relied on them, 
Therefore, this iniquity will be to you like a breach about to fall, a bulge in a high wall, whose collapse comes suddenly as in an instant, whose collapse is like smashing of a potter's jar. So he says this whole way of life that you're building up, it's going to be destroyed. 30 to 15 is both a famous verse and a, and a really powerful verse to understand. In repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. So what do we do when we realize we're in, we're in the world? We're, we're not living the way of God. Well, we repent from it. Turn, repent means turn back to God. Turn away from the ways of the world. Turn back to God. Uh, ask, you know, ask him for forgiveness, but then turn around. And then rest in him. Believe that he is Savior. In quietness and trust is your strength. So it's trusting in him to do the thing. Being quiet and not trying to be all about your own strength, but trusting in him and his way. And he can do everything more than you can imagine. He says, but you were not willing. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore you shall flee and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. So he's the, you know, the, the way of man is known, and that can't be the right way. With all this danger around, just being still and relying on the Lord, that cannot be the right way. I've got to do something. And so I'm going to flee on a horse. He says, well, you'll be caught. Um, and so the, it, is, it goes against everything. Understand, the fallen way of man is to, to grab of the fruit ourselves and to feed ourselves and acquire uh, knowledge of good and evil on our own. And instead of believing that God is going to give us this knowledge over time as we grow in wisdom and understanding. And, but the fallen way is, no, I'm going to get all that for myself. And so here you see God saying, look, repent, rest in me, trust in me, and you will be saved. And, and what does mankind say? No, I've got to get on a horse and run. It's stupid to just sit there and trust in God. And uh, so... God says, well, that's not going to be a way out for you. And he turns around, verse 17, he turns around the promise made to, uh, to you know, Joshua when they're taking the promised land about, uh, I think that's where it was, that um, a thousand Canaanites would be scared of one Israelite. And here he's turned around and said, a thousand of you will be scared of one of them. So, the difference of having the power of God with you versus trying to go against the power of God. He says, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. God is not a mean old God just wanting to, to do destruction. He actually, what he wants for you is far better than anything you can imagine. But he is a God of justice and his just nature must be satisfied. We can't, we can't live apart from God and expect him to accept that way from us we have to understand he has more wisdom than we do and we must align ourselves with his way how blessed are all those who long for him he longs to be gracious for you and he waits on high to have compassion for you he says those who long for him are blessed he says this time of difficulty will come to an end you will weep no longer he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. So when we cry out to him and come back to him, he, he has a way for us. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. 
So he disciplines those he loves, right? Hebrews, um, he, you know, our, our father disciplined us and, and we didn't like it at the time. But when we grow up, we realize it was for our good. And he's saying God does the same thing for us so that we can know him and can be a part of his ways. And you'll get rid of your idols. So in that time, they had actual idols made of wood or stone or, you know, gold, silver. Um, but we have idols in our heart. We put up all these other things as idols before the Lord. And he says, you will be cleansed and you'll get rid of those things and just worship me in spirit and in truth. Then he will give rain for your seed. So he goes on to say, basically, you know, and then I take care of your needs. When you give your entire life to me, when you die to the world and live for me, I will take care of all your needs. This is more than just saying, yes, I'm doing this. This, this is actually doing it. 26, just, to, I, I don't, I bet there's more meaning in here that the Lord has not revealed to me, but, um, but it just talks about the amazing, like, <laughs> world-altering, reality-altering um, wonder of this time when the people actually come to God. The Lord binds up the fracture of his people and heals the bruise he has inflicted of this incredible blessing that even the natural state of the world is altered. Remember, the fallen world was judged when Adam fell. So it's not as perfect and wonderful as it was. We can look around and say, and it's, it's amazing. This world is incredible, and it is. But it's still in a fallen state because its ruler is in a fallen state. It was much more wonderful before Adam and Eve fell. And um, there's the promise of that coming back to us at some point. But in his kingdom, the reality of this blessing can exist before it exists on the whole. So his, his kingdom is ever expanding. And so this reality of that state can, can be had by those who are walking in all of his ways, who have completely died to the world and living for him and receiving his constant blessing, his grace, his mercy. And in 27, he again starts talking about judgment on the world. And so these two things are happening simultaneously. Again, we look at Daniel uh, predicting this quite clearly. Um, but you have destruction on the world, but you have a kingdom rising up. And these things are happening right now at the same time. Where in the, still, you know, in the small place with this remnant people, he is rising up in a, in a way that's just incredibly an incredible blessing. Meanwhile, there's incredible um, torment in the world. He's shaking the nations back and forth in 28. It says, you find yourself in the midst of this, go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel, and the Lord will cause his voice of authority to be heard. Um, so he has a way. So the whole point of all the judgment is to turn away from the ways of the world that you've always trusted in and turn to him. That is the purpose for it all, for God to finally fulfill his purposes for mankind so that those of us that choose him are blessed beyond our imagination and that we live out the reality that he made us for. Which, remember, he made mankind with such an amazing promise that Satan and a third of the angels all rebelled against God because he, Satan wanted what he promised for mankind. And he didn't get it, even though he's, he's smarter, more powerful, more beautiful, everything, every superlative, he's more than us. Yet, 
the promise that God has for us is far is far greater. Satan was so angry, he he you know he rebelled, and so when we realize that is what God's plan is for us, all we have to do is walk in His ways, and we will receive this. It's mighty and it's wonderful, and why would we go any other way? And uh, so. Bless the Lord. Help us choose Him. And uh, I'm almost a half hour, so I'm going to end it there today. The Lord bless you.